Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Nathan Hummel's with me today. He's sheltering in place in Philly. I'm sheltering in place in New York. We're trying to stay clear of the coronavirus. Nathan, thank you for taking time out of your day. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave. Appreciate it. So Nathan's a consultant here at Leading Agile, and he's been doing a lot of work on public sector organizations and procurement and Agile and how those things are odd, an odd fit and how we need to tune them up. So how would you explain the problem that we're going to focus on today, Nathan? Yeah, that's, that's kind of a great synopsis there is, is it's an odd fit. A lot of these government organizations are really looking to go agile. And with that, with this new agile way of working, traditional pr- procurement practices actually fall into like a misalignment with that new way of working, right? So um, traditionally, we might procure around a set of functionalities or a specific product, where through an agile way of working, that's obviously fundamentally misaligned, because instead of hoping to produce a predefined product, we want to instead produce a product of, you know, the highest value to our stakeholders. Okay. So I, I want to go, I want to back up just a little bit and make sure that we're, everybody who's listening is squared away on this stuff. So when we talk about public sector, you're talking about government, anything that's federally funded, any traditional, we, we, we might say government organization that is historically laden with bureaucracy. Correct. Yes. Okay. So we're expecting a lot of red tape. We're expecting a long timeline in terms of getting things acquired. And they're probably fairly waterfall in their approach. At least they were before they started trying to switch to Agile. So they were, they'll try to get all the supplies and everything up front and put together a really tight contract. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like these organizations are facing a really broad set of challenges ranging from like strategy, you know, kind of aiming at multiple targets, having to adhere to differing policy objectives. Um, A lot of these organizations also have like longstanding governance models that um, rely on long cycle times and have lots of stakeholders, traditional funding models, working silos. So there's a lot of different challenges that these organizations are working with. Okay. And I always feel like it's important to say with stuff like this, that those processes aren't necessarily bad. I mean, they were, they were put in place to each to solve a specific problem, but they may be problems that we don't have. Like now we've got different problems. Now we need to be able to pivot or turn faster and make adjustments and respond to the market. And if we've written out a contract that locks us into something for four years and we can't make any changes to it without a six-month review cycle, we're not very agile. Right, right. Okay. Um, and when we talk about procurement, we're talking about getting stuff, right? Yeah, so procurement, I mean, ignoring private or public sector for a second, procurement yeah. is really just the process of me acquiring goods or services. So like a very simplified um, kind of example of that is like if you were to hold a, like a birthday party for your five-year-old and you wanted to hire a DJ, you would technically be procuring the services of that DJ for your party. Okay, right? okay. Now, if I was very traditionally minded, I, would, I might create a schedule and think, well, hey, you know what? If I lock in a DJ for the next 10 birthday parties, I'll get a better rate. So right. I'm going to write a contract that says, I need you know, Jimmy the Disco King to come here and spin the greatest disco hits for the next 10 years because disco is going to be around for all time and it's always going to be the great thing. And then we realized that disco sucks and nobody wants to listen to it anymore. But I got this disco guy showing up every year. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. So we created a contract around something that we thought we needed, um, but things changed over time and kind of synonymous with what we see oftentimes in the private sector. We end up with something that what we thought would originally be of value, but because things change, it's no longer of that same value to us. Okay. So now we've framed the problem. I work at a government agency. I have a traditional procurement process. We're trying to figure out how to do Agile. What kind of problems am I going to run into and what do I do about it? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're looking at building out a procurement practice within your organization, there's a bunch of considerations, right? So obviously, whenever we create a contract, you know, largely what procurement is based in, we are creating some type of designation around what we're hoping or expecting to get from that other party. Traditionally, a lot of the wording within these contracts was very um, functionality-based. So government organizations were spending a lot of time, a lot of overhead, and a lot of money trying to put together really stringent requirements to be able to hand that to our partners. And going back to your previous example, right, like oftentimes those requirements um, by the time of delivery would be either out of date or just like no longer as effective as they were or encompassing. Oftentimes, because as we go out about delivering, we learn things and, and we hope to apply those to our end state product. And so that's why a lot of these organizations are really hoping to move towards an agile procurement process because it does allow for more flexibility. It does allow for more adaptability, right? You know, in terms of speed, we have cycle times, right? So we can get things to our stakeholders relatively quickly and get feedback on that and understand how that is or isn't of value to the ultimate product that we're hoping to produce. And so like if we think about how procurement practices have changed this agile way of working, right? Traditionally, again, we would kind of go after that that product, right? So we might say, hey, I need you to produce a, a bicycle for me or I need you to produce a car. These are just examples, right? But now we're saying, hey, we have this, um, this need to get somewhere. And so we're going to partner with whoever we're, is producing that end-state product to say, what's the best way for us to get there? Do we create a car? Do we create a bicycle? Do I buy you a bus ticket? Um, it's all about partnering with the folks who are producing this thing, whether they're in-house or external, um, to make sure that we get something of the highest value. Okay. So I want to climb on that for a second. So um, one of the things I was trying to come up with examples, you know, while you were talking through this, and I was just thinking about the fact that, you know, in regular business, I run across lots of stakeholders who are all very convinced they know what the answer to the problem is. You know, and they've come in the door and they said, I need X. And when we give them X, they're like, that's not what I want. Like, mm. but that's, what, that's exactly what you told us to give you. But a lot of the time, they don't even understand the problem when they come in and tell you what the answer is. So there's this whole process that we go through in Agile of validating that we understand what the issue actually is, validating that we have the right kind of solution in play, validating the customer response to it. And if we create that contract up front based on faulty assumptions, then we might be locked into that and we don't have the ability to learn and to grow and to, to deliver the most valuable thing. Yeah, exactly. And I, I really like the words that you use there, locked in, because we are. We're locked into this contract around what we hope to produce. And just like, you know, in, in the private sector, we may throw those requirements over a wall to development. And if they're sitting external and we don't have a relationship of being able to 
communicate and collaborate with them on a pretty frequent basis, then we're going to lose that flexibility. We're going to lose the ability to produce something of the highest value in favor of producing a predefined set of requirements. So if an organization is stuck with this older way of procuring stuff, I mean, is Agile going to work at all? Because it almost sounds like if the whole point of Agile is to inspect and adapt and constantly be getting to closer to the most valuable thing, then if I can't make changes, is what's the point of doing it? That's a great point. So if we look at, you know, the driving factors behind doing this, you know, if we think about a lot of the stakeholders that we're serving, like, you know, these government organizations are serving um, politicians, they're serving taxpayers, you know, just the, the, the general public, right? And so we have a duty or responsibility to get it right. And oftentimes these stakeholders are extremely frustrated with how long it takes to implement policies and that the final outcome of what we're getting is, is really deferring from what our stakeholders expect. It's also, you know, we're, we're looking at delivering quality services here. And so oftentimes those traditional models adhered to more um, production of defects and a need to go back and, and rework certain things because we didn't have that user involvement. There's a number of factors here driving why this is so important for government organizations to go agile, but user focus is right at the center of it. And I'd say the other thing that's right at the center of it is getting it right the first time, right? Rather than having to go back and rework these things over and over and over again. Because if we do all the planning, enough planning up front, we'll always get it right the first time. Um, no, actually, yeah, yeah, no, I, you're joking, but it, it actually ends up being the contrary. And I know that's a great point because I think a lot of traditionalists do think that way, right? They're like, oh, if I make sure, if I spend so much time on requirements and make sure that I capture every single little piece of what we're hoping to produce um, from the upfront, then I'm really going to set us up for success. And that's not actually the case because, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, we're learning things as we're going throughout this development process. We're learning um, not just about the system that we're hoping to produce, we're learning about our customers and their needs and how we as an organization can best meet those needs. That's why adaptability and flexibility is, is really so important to these organizations' long-term success. Yeah, and I, I think, um, I mean, I was making a joke about all that upfront planning, but that kind of measure twice, cut once approach, that solved a specific problem. And at a time when the rate of change was was pretty slow. I mean, it wasn't like you had to relearn everything every couple of weeks. And with what we're doing in technology, stuff is constantly changing all the time. I mean, look at what we're dealing with right now. Like nobody six weeks ago in the United States would have been like, oh, nope, we're talking to shut down. Nobody's going to be working except from their homes. Like no one would have believed, I mean, maybe some, but few believed that that was actually going to happen. And look, here we are now. Um, so now we need the ability to, to shift and change and read things much faster. So and I want to ask you about one specific thing. Um, I can see where somebody would make the argument that if I do all the negotiation and procure all the stuff up front, it's cheaper. Like I'm going to buy laptops for the next four years for the company now, because if I buy them all now, I can get them at a much lower rate than if I buy them, you know, as we go. So like a, a, a bulk pricing thing? Is that yeah, what you mean? But yeah, but if I'm buying them like one or two here and there, um, I might get, you know, more advanced technology, but it's going to cost me a lot more money. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's honestly, that's a great segue into um, a really important factor here is that like through that example, you were buying a specific product or set of functionalities and that's how traditional procurement practices were set up, right? They were set up around a specific set of functionalities. They were set up to produce a predefined product. And that's part of the fundamental misalignment here is that because we're going through this, this iterative and incremental delivery process now, we can utilize that to get things into our stakeholders' hands earlier, gather feedback from them on um, the value that that adds in terms of you know, their day-to-day business and, what, and the value that they provide. And we can really go back and, and apply that to our future plans or our strategy for you know, what we're producing. And if we go back to like the cost savings bit, that's a large piece of why these organizations are hoping to procure services is that oftentimes it allows them for dramatic savings in terms of the amount of money that they're sinking into um, development time, the amount of money that they're sinking into overhead because they're um, producing something of, that's of the highest value to our stakeholders. And those organizations are constantly communicating with those stakeholders we can get rid of overhead, kind of going back to Pareto's law. We can focus more on those 20% of things that provide 80% of value as compared to producing a set of functionality which was predefined and may not actually be of the highest value. Okay, cool. I was also thinking when you were explaining that, that uh, maybe you know I buy all those laptops now, but they're going to be out of date. And so I might save some initial money, but I'm probably going to spend that either updating them or coping with, you know, making some technology change to cope with the fact that um, three years from now, I'm working with outdated equipment that's not capable of doing what I need it to do. So it's like, it's like saving a penny today to spend, you know, two pennies tomorrow. Yeah. So like if you sink money into, you know, in that, in that example, if you sink money into your laptops, um, you may find out today or tomorrow that those are um, legacy, right? That they're no longer um, of the highest value to you. They're no longer most effective and most efficient in terms of, you know, what you're hoping to do with them. And so now you need a new laptop. And the same thing happens a lot of times with these um, IT systems that these government organizations are producing, right? If we produce around a predefined set of requirements, then we're going to have a start time and we're going to have a stop time. And once we produce what we set out to produce, that then needs to go into maintenance mode. If we need to update that system or we need to make you know, um, drastic changes to that system, oftentimes that system is going to turn into a legacy system and they're actually going to set out to produce a new system entirely. Speaking to like cost savings, right? if we're able to utilize this current system and actually adapt the system um, with users' needs and really make it dynamic over time, then that's something that is going to afford us not just cost savings, but it's going to allow us to continually provide something of the highest value to our our stakeholders, not just at that end date of the project. Okay. And I'm assuming it's also possible that at that investment tier of the organization um, that we want the ability for the organization to respond to what they're learning. And if the execution teams are kind of bogged down in these long-term contracts, that kind of ties the hands of people at the investment tier. There's, you know, there's a limited amount of stuff they can do. Yeah, exactly. And, you, you know, if you're thinking about the decision-making process that a lot of those folks at the investment tier, or, you know, just leaders within these government organizations that, that they're making, right, 
they're dependent upon a number of factors and a number of stakeholders, right? Like we have policymakers, we have taxpayers, we have constantly changing requirements, right? And so with that, we want to be able to be flexible. And we want to be able to be uh, adaptable based on the changing needs of our stakeholders and the, the uh, hierarchy and environment in which we operate. Okay. So if I'm working in a, you know, a public sector organization and I'm dealing with this stuff, do you have any suggestions for me about things that I can do to try to cope with this or fix it so that we can be more prepared to adopt an agile approach to work? That's a great question, Dave. So if I were to make some suggestions to the folks who are um, highly involved in this agile procurement process, my first suggestion would be to uh, focus on outcomes, kind of think about um, writing these contracts or wording these contracts through a different paradigm. Traditionally, the outcome that we might focus on is, is largely functionality based, right? Like we wanted to produce this predefined product. That's the outcome. So you'll give me 37 beans. Yeah, I want 37 beans. Give me 37 beans. I end up getting 23 and I'm upset about it. I'm going right? to sue or, you. Yeah, exactly. Or you, or, or, or I, I just I said beans. I want my damn beans. Or I just said beans and it ended up you gave me Pinto and I wanted black. Right. right? So in this scenario, we want to focus more on relationship-based outcomes as compared to functionality outcomes. So we're, we're rethinking the role of the contract here. Instead of it, it serving as like the ultimate like kind of blueprint or guideline for that product or what we're hoping to produce, it becomes a, a guide for how we structure the relationship between the vendor and the agency who's hoping to pr procure that vendor. Okay. Okay. Right? Cool. So, so yeah, there's a fundamental kind of mindset shift here around what we're actually hoping to produce and how we're hoping to produce that, right? So kind of the wording that we utilize within this contract, it's super important that we reconsider that as well. All right. So, so outcome, not output-focused contracts. Try to create a more trusted relationship in the contracts where the idea is that we're partnering with someone and evolving as we learn together because that goes all the way back to the manifesto. Yeah, and, and, and Dave, honestly, the Agile Manifesto, um, you know, I do this when I go in and do procurement workshops is we utilize the Agile Manifesto as kind of guidelines for writing these, these Agile procurement contracts. Because if we ever have questions around the alignment back to an Agile way of working in our contract, we can always go back to the, the values and principles and think about, okay, did we think about iterative and incremental value delivery? Did we think about face-to-face -face interactions? Did we think about that primary measure of progress is working tested software, right? So utilizing all these different things and saying, okay, did we incorporate this into our strategy for how we're going to work with this vendor going forward? It's often like a, a great tool to be able to utilize in, in doing that. Cool. All right. This was great, man. Thank you for doing this. What if folks want to get in touch with you with follow-up questions? What's the best way to do that? Um, you can follow up with me on um, LinkedIn, or um, you can follow up with me at uh, nathan.hummel at leadingagile.com. This is a really deep topic, and so if you have questions or you want to learn a little bit more, definitely open to um, having those conversations and, and talking about this. The other thing that I want to say is that this is a really um, rapidly evolving field and, and kind of area of focus. I think it's, it's really kind of going to be on the forefront here 
um, in terms of agile delivery within, you know, the government space. So. Yeah. Cool. All right, dude, thank you very much. Um, and if you have any feedback for, for us on the podcast in general, Dave.prior at leadingagile.com. Thank you all very much. Please stay healthy. And uh, we'll be back again in a week or so. Thanks. Thanks, Dave.